The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au Amen. Well, again, take your Bibles, go back to the book of Isaiah. We've been considering the, the servant song of Isaiah 42. And you know, one of the questions that we should ask ourselves and we should consider is, why should we read and listen to and preach from the Old Testament prophets? I mean, they ministered uh, in the case of Isaiah 2,800 years ago, if my math is correct. It was a different culture, it's a different language, different people, different contexts. What does Isaiah have to say to us? Well, I want us to consider, first of all, God's author and his readers. The, the relationship between God speaking, Isaiah writing, and we who are the recipients of it. Then we want to consider uh, some more of the actual text itself. So first of all, consider God's author. Isaiah was one of God's preaching and writing prophets. He was the man that God raised up to record these things in Scripture for us. Isaiah wrote under the Holy Spirit's inspiration. In 2 Peter 1 verse 21, the Bible says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says to us as well, in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Actually, it's, the word is expiration, the breathing out of God. And all Scripture, Old Testament and New, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And we know the Scriptures in Hebrews 1, long ago, at many times, in many different ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Isaiah was greatly influenced by the vision he saw in Isaiah chapter 6. And then we see how he was commissioned in Isaiah 6 verses 8 to 13 to go and preach and write God's message to God's people in Judah and Jerusalem. And as we'll see, even down to us today. First of all, he ministered and wrote to the 8th century Jews in Judah and Jerusalem. They were his own contemporary people. Secondly, Isaiah writes to 6th century Jews in exile, 200 years in his future. And so, why announce these things to people 200 years in advance? Why give this information so far ahead of time, out of his own context. Well, Sidney Gray Dennis, who is a scholar, wrote a great book called Preaching Christ from the Old Testament. And he says that, he made this point, these distant future events are being announced to serve as beacons for God's people. A beacon to help them get their bearings and set the course in life, which will give them direction and hope and encouragement even in the darkest hours. And that would be the case for Isaiah's future readers. They would be God's defeated, conquered, dispossessed people living in exile under worldly domination. 
They're separated from Jerusalem, the temple and the sacrifices. They're separated from the king and the priesthood, which no longer existed. They're without the earthly, their earthly national identity. They are simply Jews in exile. God's actions towards his exiled people through Isaiah in chapter 40 to 40 to 55 of his book is to console, to comfort, to encourage his discouraged and exiled people. His purpose, his messages, purpose are slightly different. His purpose is to induce them to faithfulness and trust in him. And we can summarize Isaiah's message in chapters uh, 40 to 55 from chapter 40 in verse 5 where it says, The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And Christ, who we know from Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, is the brightness of God's glory. He will come. Christ the suffering servant will come to redeem his people. Christ the suffering servant will come to bring forth justice, God's truth, God's kingdom to all the nations. And so firstly, Isaiah writes to the 8th century Jews, his own contemporaries, and secondly, he writes to the 6th century Jews in exile in his future. Thirdly, Isaiah writes to all God's people in all times and all places. Even us, here in Melbourne, in May 2021, his book, his messages for us for today. Now our situation is in fact quite similar to the Jewish exiles in Babylon. We are God's redeemed people. We're a small minority of humanity. We're living under the domination of sometimes ungodly human governments. Those governments, just like ancient Babylon and ancient Persia and Greece and Rome and so on, they're all set in place by God until His purposes through them are complete. God raised up Babylon to come in as a disciplining hand against the people of Israel. He took them out of the land. And God would one day, when his purposes were finished with Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, he would discipline them for their action against God's people. Those governments are set by God until his purposes through them are complete. We're living in time and space but physically separated from Christ our Savior. But praise the Lord, He is spiritually always with us, never to leave us and never to forsake us. God's actions toward us are similar to His actions toward the Jews in exile. His word and message is written to us to comfort us with the promise of Christ's second coming and return, to encourage us to trust Him fully, to persevere throughout the years of our exile, to teach us, as 1 Peter 1 talks about, to live as God's elect exiles in this world. And God's message to us is similar to His message to the exiles. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. Now for us, or for them, sorry, it was Christ coming as the humble servant and indeed his Christ coming again as the conquering king and judge. For us, Christ has already come 
as the humble servant of the Lord, to suffer and to die, to set his people free, to wash away our sins that we might be forgiven uh, by God. But he's coming again, and the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed. The Bible says in Mark 13, verses 24 to 26, But in those days... After that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the power in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Christ has already come as the quiet, gentle, humble servant of the Lord. Christ is coming again in power and great glory as the King of kings and Lord of lords to judge and to reign as king. We read, we listen to, we preach Christ from the Old Testament because the message of the Old Testament speaks so clearly to us. Because we want to see Christ in His glory, especially from Isaiah who says so much about Him. So secondly, having considered the author and his readers, I just want to take it, just work the way through the text for a moment and just highlight who is speaking and to whom? If you'll notice in verses 1 through 4, God is speaking to the reader. Behold my servant and so on. And he describes the servant to us and what he will do. And then in verse 5, it says, Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and the earth and so on. And then he says in verse 6, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. And so verses 5, 6, and 7 are very much spoken from God to his servant. But the neat thing is, he says it in our uh, hearing, if you like, in our ability to hear what he's saying to the servant. And then verses 8 and 9, he is speaking to all, both the servant and us as the readers. So then let's secondly consider God's servant, and, and much of this will be recapped. So I just want to refresh our minds and, and enjoy again some of the things we've discovered and enjoyed from this text. We are told in verses 1 to 4 to behold, to consider the servant. And that idea of beholding and considering isn't just to look with the eyes and, and see the, fat, the features and the form. The idea is to look, to behold with the em emphasis of faith. So we look in faith. The servant is the object of our faith. Christ is given to us in the New Testament as the object of faith. We're told to consider the Lord's servant. Now that can only be Christ because he's the only one capable of all the things that God describes about him here. Christ is the servant whom the Lord upholds, as the one he sets forth as the propitiation and so on. Christ is the servant whom the Lord chose. In his humanity, he was chosen to be the one united in his human nature with the divine nature at the moment of conception to be one person with two natures. Christ is the servant whom the Lord delights in. And that's a wonderful challenge to our hearts. See how much the Father delights in his Son and ask ourselves the question, how much do we delight in the Lord Jesus? But also to know this, that the Lord our God, our Heavenly Father, delights in us, His adopted children. In verse 1, the second part, we're told what the servant of the Lord will accomplish. 
Christ will bring forth God's justice to the nations and the earth. Christ will bring forth God's truth. That's kind of the idea wrapped up there. That word justice contains a couple of different things. It's God's justice, God's truth, and also contained in that is the idea of God's kingdom will be brought forth and established by the servant. In verses 1 to 4, we can see we're told how the servant will uh, bring forth the manner, how he will do it. Try it again. How he will do it. In verse 1, we can see that he will serve in the power of God's Holy Spirit. Christ is the servant whom the Lord filled with his spirit to lead him and empower him. The power of the servant for ministry and service. In verse 2, we can see he will serve in quietness, not raising his voice in an unseemly manner, not demanding to be heard in a competitive manner with others. No, he didn't need to shout and clamor and shriek and cry out in the streets. The power of his message came in the spirit-filled person of Christ. The power of his message was its absolute truthfulness, not the volume with which it was preached. The power of his message was and is its effectiveness to open the spiritually blind eyes, to free spiritual captives from the domain of darkness, to bring sons and daughters into the kingdom and the family. He is indeed a quiet servant. And then in verse 3, we saw that he will serve in gentleness, not crushing the broken weed, nor quenching the smoldering wick. No person, because that's what's being described there, is the, per- pe- the, the people that are crushed, that are broken, that are weary, that are feeling worthless and tossed aside, the servant of the Lord will serve in gentleness. No person is ever beyond the love, the grace, and the mercy of God to redeem and to rescue, to restore, and to build up. So what about, I was asked a question this week about this, what about Jesus tossing the tables in the temple? Surely that was not a picture of the the gentle servant. And you know, that's a good point. I thought, well, he he might have uh, undone my message there. But you know, I started to, to think about that. And I contrasted God's judgment on Nadab and Abihu. You see, they went and offered strange fire before the Lord in Leviticus chapter 10. And the Bible describes how fire came out from before the Lord and those two men's lives were taken. And I thought, you know, Jesus was being gentle with them. He drove those money changers out. He preached the gospel to them. In a certain sense, he allowed them the opportunity to repent before far greater judgment comes. And you know, brothers and sisters, God's gentleness with us may sometimes come in the form of a sting of discipline that we might avoid the fire of far greater judgment and far severe judgment. And so I would say again that he is indeed the gentle servant of the Lord. In verse 4, we can see he'll serve in perseverance. And we didn't have time to look at this last week, and I'm not going to take too much time with it now, but we can see there he'll not grow faint, or literally be bruised. And in fact, those two words in verse number four, grow faint, or in my ESV, be discouraged, they're the same two words as a faintly burning wick and quenched. And the idea there is that the Lord Jesus will not be crushed 
He will not be quenched until he has finished all his work. The, the, the hand of man, the work of the enemy could not conquer and could not push him down and crush him out. He finished everything. In John 17 and verse 4, he describes in his high priestly prayer how he has finished the work that the Father gave him to do. And that great cry from the cross, it is finished. He persevered till the very end. And the call on us this morning, you know, there's only a few commands in this whole text here. In verse 1, it's behold. And then again, it's in verse 9, behold. And, And what we're called to do is to stop and look and consider the Lord Jesus Christ as the perfect servant, the Lord's servant who came to bring forth justice. We see the servant in the way that the Father chose him and delighted him and filled him with his spirit. We see the servant and the way and the manner in which he serves. And you know, brothers and sisters, to stop and just gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ as we read the Scriptures and and to consider who he was. What a wonderful Savior we have. Well, then the the text goes on in verses 5 to 7, and we're told who's promising the servant. It is God the Lord. And so thirdly, let's consider together the servant's God. Now, Jesus actually said, I go to my God and your God. And so it's perfectly legitimate to describe God the Heavenly Father as the servant's God. Well, who is promising? Who is making this promise through the pen of Isaiah and the voice of Isaiah? And you know, as I stop to think about the context, he's writing this section of his book to those 200 years in his future, in the 6th century B.C., to exiles living in Babylon. And I think it's helpful for us to understand that in the ancient Near Eastern culture, uh, the idea of gods and lands are very much tied together. Aside from God's people, uh, Israel, who possessed his word, his covenant, and his law, most most, or not all, Ancient Near Eastern cultures believed that the gods were connected to the lands. So the god of the Moabites sort of resided over the territory of Moab, and the god of the the Hittites resided over the territory of the termites, the Hittites, and so on. Uh, So all those peoples in those times believe their gods were connected with the lands. If you remember, after uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes all the people out of Israel and Judah, and he takes them all up to Babylon, and then he brings other captives from other lands and brings them down and sets them up in the land of Israel, and they cry out to the king to send us somebody that will teach them how to worship the God of the land of Israel, the land of Judah. Because they associated the gods with the lands in which they were connected. And the assumption was, the assumption was that the gods of victorious nations were stronger and mightier than the gods of the defeated nations. So it would be very easy for the Babylonians to consider that their gods, Marduk and so on, were stronger and greater even than the one true God of the Jews. Maybe some of the Jews in captivity in Babylon, were starting to consider the Babylonian gods as greater than the one true God, the Lord uh, God of the Bible. Maybe some of us, it's possible, have begun to doubt our faith, have begun to doubt our God. 
Maybe the world's thinking and the, the disregard it has for God and His Word and, and the, the way that the world just seems to get away with some ungodly, wicked, and vile thinking. It started to challenge our faith and our belief and our convictions about the Scripture, about the Lord our God. Maybe you and I have started to believe the whispers of the enemy that all of this Christianity is foolishness. Maybe even Jesus' long tarry, His long waiting before return has started to erode your faith. Surely, He would have returned by now. You think about all the things that are going on in our world, in our culture, in our society. And you see it on TV, just the the incredible ungodliness, the wickedness of man seems to know no boundary and no end. Brother and sister, consider the servant God who speaks these promises. Consider together as we look at the scriptures and ask God to open the eyes of your heart to see afresh. Him who has promised His servant. In verse 42, sorry, chapter 42 and verse 5, the Bible says, Thus says God the Lord. Then Isaiah, underneath the the Spirit's inspiration, describes who speaks. In verse 5, it's the one who speaks is Ha'el Ha'el Yahweh in the Hebrew. And the word El means he is God transcendent. And the idea of that is that he is completely above, beyond, unreachable, unattainable to all apart from himself. The definite article Ha, that the name there, Ha El Yahweh, means that it emphasizes that he is the only transcendent God. He is not one transcendent God amongst many like a pantheon of gods of which he's one of. No, no. Isaiah says, under the Spirit's inspiration, thus says God, the Lord, the only one. He is unreachable. He's unattainable to all apart from himself. He is the only unique God. He is Yahweh, or Yahweh, depending how you want to pronounce it. And that word is just a simply simple transliteration right from the Hebrew into the English. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, when Moses says to God, Whom shall I say has sent me? Whom shall I, what name shall I give them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's what Yahweh or Yahweh actually means. And And God says to Moses, Say this to Israel, I am has sent me to you. That word that the Yahweh can be translated as I am that I am, or I am because I am, or I am who I am. And the idea there is God is the absolutely self-existing one. All of us in this world, we exist and we have a support system. We have to eat so much food. We have to drink so much water. We have to do so much exercise. We have to get so much sleep. And we need to breathe in air and oxygen. We are entirely dependent on those support systems. Well, God is the self-existing God. He is not dependent on us for anything. He is God requiring nothing outside of himself to exist. He is God without beginning or end. He is the Lord who is the covenant-making God. That's what the word Lord means. It carries the idea of a covenant-making God. 
God is both absolutely separate from us, yet He's speaking and communicating and communing with us. Thus says God the Lord. He speaks. God is both absolutely free in Himself, yet He binds Himself in covenant relationships with His people. So consider the person of God the Lord, the only transcendent, self-existing, absolutely powerful God. Notice verse 5. Isaiah writes and says, Thus says God the Lord, comma, and then he says, Who created the heavens and stretched them out? Who spread out the earth and what comes from it? He is the almighty God. He is the all-powerful God. What does that mean? What evidence do we have of God's great power? And Isaiah writes and says, He created the heavens. And the word there literally means God brought into existence all of the heavens. And by implication, that includes the earth as well. Out of absolutely nothing, He created all. You and I, some of us are very creative. We can take bits of paint and and canvas and pencil, and we can create some artwork or take some bits and pieces or knots and bolts and and all other things and create some kind of metal sculpture, weld it all together. Some of us can take strings and a box and a neck and create music with it, with a violin or a guitar. We can create, but really we're not creating. We're just shaping and forming what's already there to, to produce a new sound or a new image. But God creates, he brings into existence from absolutely nothing. In Genesis chapter 1, over and over it's repeated, let there be, and it was so. Let there be, and God created. In Hebrews 11 verse 3, the Bible tells us by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God's Word has power to create what it commands. God's all-powerfulness was demonstrated by creation. I remember, I don't know where it was, it was years ago, reading about the ancient Babylonians, and they had a fascination for the heavens, the stars and the planets and so on. And God inspires Isaiah to describe himself as the one with unlimited power to accomplish all that he desires, creating the heavens. So there they are, the exiles in in Babylon, and they're watching these Babylonians up on their rooftops, staring up at the night sky, trying to figure out all of the heavens. And God says through the pen of Isaiah, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens, who stretched them out. Now, in the Hebrew, it's a bit different than my English translation renders it. Uh, I have it as created, stretched, spread, and gives. Very definite uh, single action words. But in actual fact, they're participles in the Hebrew, which means that they have the ing ending in, in English. So it's really more accurate to say, thus says God the Lord, who creating the heavens and stretching them out, who's spreading out the earth and what comes from it, who giving breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. And he says, I am the Lord and so on. So the, the verbs are participles. You say, so what? Who cares? It, it's grammar. I'm not interested in grammar. I want to know about the Lord and I'm with you. But grammar helps us understand who God is. 
It displays the unchanging relationship between God and creation. He created the heavens and the earth. He gives life to all things, and they're all still under his creative care and sustaining. So not all not only tried in English. Not only did he create the heavens and the earth, he is sustaining them with his creative care and sustaining. He is the all-powerful God. He created and sustains all of his creation. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, describing the Lord says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, the all-powerful one. We asked the question this morning as we began our worship in Exodus 15 and verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And the answer, of course, is there is no God like the Lord our God. I want you to notice that he also spread out the heavens. And those, the idea of those words is to hammer out. Like if you've ever seen some fellas that uh, do metal smithing. Uh, I used to watch these guys making custom motorcycles, of all things. And they would take bits of steel and the sheet metal, and they would take this special hammer thing, and they would put the metal on it. And as they would roll the, the metal back and forth across the hammer, the hammer would bu- 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 like mad, and it would slowly cause the metal to stretch. And as it stretched, it started to spread out and form. A blacksmith, uh, watch these guys... Uh, even today, forging swords, uh, taking the steel and folding it all up and taking it out red hot, and they pound it out. And as they're pounding, they say what they're doing is they're drawing out the steel as the pounding stretches and spreads out the steel, make the long blade out of a little block like that. Well, that's exactly what Isaiah describes God's doing. He is hammering out. He's taking the, 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 the heavens and spreading them out. Now, you know, the modern man... Never mind the ancients with their uh, lack of technology. Modern man with all of his uh, tools and technology and computers and, and spaceships and all that stuff, they still cannot see the very ends of the universe. To us, space is an infinite distance. And yet, that Isaiah says that God just stretched out the heavens. Our God is an infinite God. In fact, one of the writers uh, writes in 1 Kings 8.27 in the Bible and says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Solomon in his prayer before the Lord and his dedication of the temple to God's use. God, he's saying, you can't, the whole of the heavens, the highest heaven, if you go the furthest reaches into the heavens, it's not big enough to contain the Lord our God. He is an infinite God. He spread out the heavens. He spread out the earth and all that the earth brings forth. Well, what's that mean? That means that everything that comes forth from the earth, water, plants and trees, winds, cloud, rains, oceans, lava into rocks and so on, every little bit of it, every animal, every bird, every fish, every mammal, every reptile, every amphibian, God is intimately involved in both creating and sustaining his creation from Genesis 1-1 till today and on into the future. He is the sustaining God. He's the powerful God. He's the infinite God. He is the sustaining God. Notice also in verse 5, he says, 
that he gives life and breath, or sorry, gives breath and spirit to those who dwell on the earth. Um, what does he mean by that? Now, some people have taken the word breath and the word spirit to be simply uh, parallelism. Two words describe the same thing. In actual fact, they're not. The word for spirit is, is the word ruach. And we get, uh, Hebrew words often have multiple uh, meanings, uh, translations. And ruach means spirit, breath, life, wind, neck, throat. They're all kind of combined together. But the word for breath here is a totally different word. It literally means the movement of air. So all the animals that are living beings, they can breathe and, and, and in and out like we do. That's God's sustaining of them. But above and beyond that, he gives spirit to those who walk in it. simply means there that humanity created in God's image has, God's, has the spirit in them to make them a living being. It's the living life force that's in every single person. Now, sadly, we are all born, as, as somebody said it so well, spiritually uh, stillborn. And we don't have a relationship with the living God because of our sin and because we are spiritually dead when we are born. But God, by His grace and His mercy, reaches down to us and makes that which is dead alive, that we can have a relationship with the living God. He is the life-giving and the life-sustaining God. He is intimately involved in all of His creation to sustain the lives of animals and birds and fish and all the rest of the animal kingdom as well as humanity. Every single person walks around on this earth because He is sustained by, God, by God's hand. And you know, as soon as I say that, the one thought that just keeps coming back to my mind is thinking about the Lord Jesus on the cross. And He's stretched out and one of the soldiers kneels down on the inside of his forearm and holds his arm down on the cross. And the other one picks up a nail and a hammer and sucks in a breath and drives that hammer down to drive the nail through the base of Jesus' wrist. He gave him the strength, the breath, the will, the coordination, everything necessary to drive that nail through his own wrist. Our God is a life-giving, life-sustaining God. Who is this who promises the servant of the Lord to come? Is this, this whole story, this whole section here, is this some wishful thinking of an 8th century prophet? Is this some fairy tale of a great hero for all the people, like some of the great old legends of ancient days that were written? Who will come and set his people free? And the answer, of course, is a thousand times, no way. This is the voice of the only transcendent, self-existent, all-powerful, infinite, life-giving, life-sustaining God who communicates to His people through His voice, through His Word, and ultimately in the person of the Son. This is God the Lord who designed, sorry, who deigned to even stoop and speak to His infinitesimally small creatures, you and I. And He promised them and He promised us a Savior, the Lord's servant. And so through 2,720 odd years ago, the exiles are sitting in Babylon and they're reading Isaiah's book. What was the message to those exiles in Babylon? What did this have to say to them? Because when we study the Old Testament, it's important for us to understand what the text says to its original recipients. And this was the message. 
God had not forgotten His people who are in exile. God's eternal purposes were not defeated by their sin and exile out of the land. God's purposes are focused and fulfilled in and through His servant. God will give His servant as a new covenant to His people. We'll see that next week. God will give His servant as a light Truth to the nations. God will set his people free from dungeon, from darkness, from prison, and even from exile. But the question we all must ask ourselves is why? Why did God give them that message? What was God's intention as they read these words and heard the message, Look at my servant who is coming. He will not cry aloud. He will not break a bruised reed and so on. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will be a covenant to the people. They're reading that next exile and they must ask themselves, Why did God give them that message? And God's purpose in giving them that message is that they, He might induce them to trust in God the Lord. He has the power and authority to to bring about His promises. He will send His servant. And we know from our side of history that He did. His servant will accomplish God's plans because the sovereign, all-powerful God will call Him, keep Him, choose Him, empower Him, fill Him with His Spirit to accomplish all of that work. God gave them that message with the purpose that they might obey God the Lord. That they might be faithful to God the Lord because of God's suffering servant. And He is coming. So finally, at long last, we get back to us. Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church in 2021. What's the message of this text for us? Well, you know, God has not forgotten us either. His Christian people. We're the Lord's people for today. He has not forgotten us. God has kept His promises in the past. We can look back in history and and the Scriptures and see that God has sent His servant as a covenant to the people. God has sent His servant to be a light to the nations. God has sent His promised Holy Spirit to fill Him and fill us. God is still keeping His promises in the present. God is still opening blind eyes. And God is still setting prisoners free. God is still answering our prayers. God's purposes are all still found in and focused on His servant, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is sending Christ to return. He sent Him the first time that He might redeem His people. He's coming again in power and great glory and judgment on all the nations. And just like we asked, why would God give the exiles that message? So we must ask, why did God give us this message? To induce, to provoke God's people, you and I, to trust in Him. Because God has spoken and kept His past promises, we can trust Him in Him to keep His present promises. Because God's Word is all-powerful to create what it commands, we can trust Him. Because God is powerful to sustain us through every difficulty, we can trust Him. I'm going to come back to that. God's, because God is powerful and life-given, we can trust in Him and plead the salvation of our family and our friends. You and I, brothers and sisters, we can. 
and I wish I'd go back and scratch out all those cans and put in place, we must trust in God. In the face of physical health issues and concerns, we can trust in God. I heard this week from a few of you, there's just a handful, and some of you are facing some very difficult health concerns and health issues. Some of you are facing some terrible financial issues. If this lockdown thing carries on, people in this state will be facing some severe financial issues due to job loss and income loss and so on. In the face of those difficulties, we can trust in the Lord our God. Why do we trust in Him? Because He is all-powerful to create the heavens and the earth and sustain them. He is all-powerful to give breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. He is all-powerful to sustain us through whatever may come. In the face of personal relationship issues, and I know some of you are facing some very difficult personal relationship issues, we can trust the Lord our God. He is all-powerful to answer our prayers. He is all-powerful to sustain us through great difficulty and great struggle. He is all-powerful and life-giving. He who has given you spiritual life will not let it fall and die. He will not take that away from you. You cannot lose your salvation. You cannot lose that spiritual life. He who began a good work in you. I love the fact that the, the servant here, he will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. He will finish the work that God has given him to do. And that work includes working in us. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a work in you will complete it until the day of the Lord Jesus. In other words, that which has been begun by God in you, he is all-powerful to finish it. That which has been begun in you, you think you're too big for God? He is the infinite God who spread out the heavens like a, uh, a man at a picnic spreads out a tablecloth or spreads out a blanket. He stretched it out. Our God is an all-powerful God. Consider this morning the servant's God. Consider the all-powerfulness, the infiniteness, the, the loving, sustaining hand of God keeping you going. This is the God who has made these promises to us. This is the God who is about to speak and address himself to the servant and say, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, and so on. Brothers and sisters, I hope and I pray this morning that as we have just gone through for this short time through this text, that your heart has been encouraged and strengthened. That looking to Jesus, beholding the servant, you are encouraged and strengthened to trust him for a few steps more, to keep walking in the presence of the Lord, loving and serving and trusting in Him. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank You and we praise You this morning for the Lord Jesus Christ, our servant. Now, He's Your servant, Lord. He's our Savior. And Father, we thank You for the great example He set as the suffering servant of the Lord who came to redeem His people, who came to establish Your truth, Your justice, Your kingdom in this world. 
And Father, we give thanks that he is indeed coming again. Lord, may it be soon. Father, for those who are struggling, Lord, there are some serious health issues happening at Noble Park Baptist Church. And Lord, we just cry out to you for those that are struggling. Lord, for those who are in pain and dealing with medications and doctors and hospitals and all that other stuff. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen them for this part of their journey. Father, we give thanks that you are the sustaining God, that you sustain your creation. Father, we thank, we give thanks and we praise you this morning that you are the life-giving God. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who came and suffered and died on a cross that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Father, we thank you for all these things and we give thanks for our worship, Lord. Lord, we long to be together in the building and worship face to face and side by side to sing the hymns and offer the prayers together and to fellowship like we have been, Lord, for an hour or more after the service. Father, for those that are considering membership and thinking about what it means to commit to a church like Noble Park Baptist Church, Father, we pray that you would encourage their hearts. Father, help them to sort out some of the difficulties they may have. And Father, we just ask you for your blessing. We plead for it in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Now a benediction from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you soon.